I can really talk myself into or out of anything. And for the first time ever, that voice wasn't there. It wasn't me trying to convince myself one way or another, but it was just me following my curiosity. And that's how we started away. I'm Amy Jo Martin. Welcome to the Why Not Now show. You know that thing you've been thinking about doing? Yeah, that one. Why not now? Have you ever actually taken the time to ask yourself, what's stopping me? Let's talk it through. This is your chance to give that idea the attention it deserves and take action. Each episode, I have a chat with a fascinating person from entrepreneurs to athletes, celebrities, my parents, rocket scientists, and all walks of life. We talk through a critical time when they've asked themselves, why not now? We dissect that day or even that moment, step by step. You know when you experience something and something breaks or something throughout your day doesn't quite go right and you come up with a solution and you think someone should invent X, Y, Z. And then you go about your day and you probably never take action on it. Well, Jen Rubio, today's guest, actually did follow through. She is the co-founder of Away Luggage and she had a situation where her luggage fell apart in an airport one day and she went onto Facebook and asked her friends, What recommendations do you have for some good luggage? She did not get a consistent response, and she decided, well, I'm going to create luggage that I love. This company has become a darling. It is one of the highest-funded female-backed startups to ever exist. They are only a couple of years old, and they're skyrocketing. They have done extremely well right out of the gate, and their branding is on point. One of Jen's previous jobs was the head of social media for Warby Parker, and she actually met her co-founder at Warby Parker. They later were able to sync up and start this company. What I really appreciate about this conversation with Jen is that it's a reminder that we all start somewhere, especially if you are on an entrepreneurial journey. So Jen had zero experience in the luggage category. She was a first-time entrepreneur. And I think those fresh eyes sometimes are exactly what set us apart. Embrace that. Embrace the whole ignorance is bliss type of notion. Away has been named one of the most innovative companies of 2018 by Fast Company. And they've just gotten started. So I encourage you to follow this journey. And here's Jen explaining how it all started. We tackle the most taboo topics on the Why Not Now show. Oftentimes, you're hearing guests share things they've never shared before. In the spirit of things we don't typically talk about, you should know that the Why Not Now show is supported by Poopery, the original before-you-go toilet spray. It's magic. 
My friends at Poopery have literally taken the smell out of you-know-what. This pure blend of essential oils stops bathroom odor before it begins. Visit Poopery.com and Why Not Now listeners get 20% off with code Why Not Now. That's all one word. And you can hear the story about Poopery in our interview with founder Susie Batiste. That's Why Not Now, episode 28. Poopery is also available at Target. Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's hop right in, in the spirit of Why Not Now?, Can you tell me about a time when you had a big decision to make and you had to ask yourself, why not now? You know, it's funny. It almost feels a little bit like cheating because um, by far the biggest decision I've ever had to make in my life was to decide to start this company, to start away and to to pursue entrepreneurship and being a co-founder. And it started in 2015 when I was traveling. I was actually in between jobs and my luggage broke. And I was in an airport, kind of, you know, super annoying thing, the bag breaking. And I go home after having to like duct tape my bag together. And I started asking my friends um, for recommendations for luggage. And it was actually it really started out as a series of complaints and a series of listening to people and realizing that what I was looking for just didn't exist. And I think a lot of times, you know, people think there's this aha moment of like, you know, my luggage breaks, I think I'm going to start a luggage company. And it happens like that. It was really slow play. It was a lot of me talking to people about what bags they would recommend, a lot of people having nothing to tell me, you know, me doing tons of research, catching up with people. And I think the idea just wormed its way into my head. So, you know, I mentioned I was kind of unemployed at the time. I had just spent some time in London, you know, a few years working at a fashion retailer. I had left that job. I took a job as an interim CMO of, of a juice company in a world that I really knew nothing about. And I was kind of looking for my next step. So I say it's kind of cheating because it's not that kind of fork that people come to in the road of, should I quit my job? Should I take this job versus that one? But I think what I realized was that for the first time in my life, I wasn't asking myself, why shouldn't I do this? And and what I learned at an early age is that I can really talk myself into or out of anything. And for the first time ever, like that, that voice wasn't there. It wasn't me trying to convince myself one way or another, but it was just me following my curiosity. And that's how we started away. Did you have entrepreneurship on your radar in this interim between career stops? Was this already a seed that was planted where it was even easier to give it water? Or was this just kind of a curveball? I really... I mean, I, of course, was aware of entrepreneurship before um, before I lived in London. I worked for Warby Parker and obviously Neil and Dave, the co-founders of Warby Parker, were just incredible role models and mentors and bosses. And we learned so much from them. But I didn't spend my time at a startup thinking I'm going to start one one day. In fact, it was just I, I never wanted to work at a startup. It was like a a happy accident that I started working 
at Warby Parker. And um, I guess I've just always been following what I'm passionate about. And in that pursuit of the things that I'm passionate about and the things that I'm curious about, I've interacted with a ton of founders and entrepreneurs and, um, and startups. There was a time in between like big stints at companies where I was consulting or freelancing for, for different startups at various stages, but it was never through the lens of I'm going to do this myself someday, um, which is why I think even when I really started researching the luggage industry and really digging into why the brand that we envisioned didn't exist, it wasn't super crystal clear that that I should do this or that I should be the one to start it. It was more that, hey, what about this thing? And finding out that it didn't actually exist yet. And then it's slowly crystallizing that me and my co-founder Steph were the ones that should actually do it. And I love what you said about the the fact that the why shouldn't I do this didn't surface and the also fact that you had to be aware of that you know it, it actually called your attention to realize oh that's not coming up and you were following this curiosity so it sounds like this was a slow brew and this wasn't like oh this is happening now why not now which most of the situations aren't anyway um but what was that next step or what actually made this feel like you greenlit the idea after you gathered information and did your research what truly made it feel like this was like okay it's go time this is happening I think every little step along the way made it feel that way. So, um, you know, I think in the beginning, well, one really crazy part of all of this was that when when all of this happened, my co-founder was actually in business school and I was like in the middle of interviewing jobs and so was she. So it wasn't this big like come to Jesus moment of, of hey, are we quitting our jobs to pursue this? It actually started out with me flying to New York from London, where I was living at the time, and talking about the idea with Steph, and then coming back a couple of weeks later, and then extending my trip a little longer, and then a little longer, and then before I knew it, I had been sleeping on her sofa for (laughs) a few weeks, much to the dismay of her boyfriend. And And I think it was that, and it's kind of like, you know when there's like a white noise, and you kind of just forget it's there until it stops? I think that's what it felt like to, to constantly like go through life, you know, saying, why not now? Like, why shouldn't I do this? Here are all the pros and cons where with this, it kind of just kept going. We just had a lot of questions. We kept finding answers and then we had more questions and, and neither of us ever stopped to say like, Hey, what are we doing? Like, are we starting this company? Are we going to be co-founders? And obviously we've had a lot of conversations about, you know, being really thoughtful about our roles in the company and then actually incorporating the company. And, you know, the second that you raise money, whether it's from friends and family or VCs, then there's obviously like that external accountability and obligation. But all of those steps just seem to really flow um, seamlessly, you know, from one step to, to the other. I think it's like, yeah, it was just flowing. You know, a lot of people talk about being in a flow state. And I think mm-hmm. when people talk about being in a flow state, we're kind of your focus and there's like, you, you clearly see one step after the other. Um, they're usually talking about a process that lasts maybe for a few minutes or a few hours. But from when my suitcase broke to when we launched the suitcase, it honestly really felt like a year of flow state. So so I know this is probably an unconventional 
answer to the why not now, but it was the fact that we didn't ask ourselves that that really led us to do this. It's really interesting to hear how it seems like one thing really did just kind of lead to the next in this. You weren't forcing it, but just like you said, it flowed. I have a mentor who has been on the show many different times, and she talks about alive ideas and and following that energy until maybe they aren't alive anymore and or they lead to something like this case. And it, it really seems like this was you following this alive idea and not overly questioning it, which is Yeah, and, and you know what? It's like being in that state and following an idea that's alive – doesn't mean that everything's luck or an accident or it just comes to you or it's just like everything is an aha moment. It's still a ton of work and it's still really complicated. But what it allows you to do when you are just following the energy of an idea and following your curiosity and just really digging is to be super thoughtful about all the decisions that you're making. I always say one of the biggest advantages that Steph and I had is that we basically... um, ended up initially like trying to disrupt the luggage industry without either of us really knowing anything about luggage. And I think, uh, you know, obviously what we're trying to do it away now is a lot bigger and, and we have a broader mission around travel. But that initial um, suitcase breaking, wanted to solve that problem, wanted to create a brand and a product that didn't exist. We wanted to do all of that without any experience in the industry. And I think that really worked out well to our advantage because there was no, this is how it's done. It was us thinking about the best way to solve whatever problem was in front of us. And I, I'm looking out at our office now and we have more than 200 people now. And this is less than four years <laughs> later. So many of the people at Away, actually there's only one person at Away who, who has experience in the luggage industry. Everyone's here rallying around our mission. But so many of our early employees were really just the people who we felt could also follow that curiosity and and really be problem solvers and kind of solve the puzzles that, that were in front of them. And that's what we value at Away more than any level of experience or industry knowledge or um, or kind of like any very specific ideas. That's really amazing. It, it's, And I think that's where the disruption probably comes into play in most categories is that your innovation was fueled by this, this innocence and at times probably ignorance, uh, not that you didn't have business savvy, but of the industry. And that's what actually helped you break through and be be so different um, and that you still to this day have a foundation with your couple hundred employees that are in love with the mission and they come to work for the mission, not necessarily for the the what, um, but it's obviously the why. And so what has been your, and, and congratulations, let's not bypass this. I mean, your <laughs> growth over the last three, four years has been incredible. I mean, you're first time entrepreneur, and this is just, it's its amazing. I love that you're female founders. And so what has been your your biggest surprise about entrepreneurship? Or what would you say is the biggest kind of misconception? I think because I didn't spend a lot of time glorifying entrepreneurship before I became an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it wasn't like this, this wake-up call. Uh, but I think now that I'm kind of, on the other side and and the other side being that 
I've, I've actually started a company. I've, I still have so much learning left ahead of me. But now that I'm kind of on the other side, I get a lot of emails and I, I get a lot of messages around people who want to be founders or entrepreneurs. And they think it's just like this super exciting, glamorous lifestyle. I mean, I admit I definitely probably perpetuate those kinds of misconceptions because if I'm at a speaking engagement or a press thing or for launching something and there's like a big party around it, like obviously I'm posting that stuff on social mm-hmm. media. Sure. Um, but I think there is this kind of misconception that like that's it. And, and being a founder means that you start a business and you hire a bunch of people to do all the work and, um, and life is good. And it's just completely the opposite of that. I have not just me, but any founder I know, I've just, I've never worked harder in my life. I probably will never work this hard again. And it's such a wild ride. And I think one of, uh, again, like one of the biggest strengths of me and my co-founder is just knowing that there's so much that we don't know. We went into this with kind of like an anything goes attitude and, and really just taking it one step at a time. We didn't have any we were pretty real with each other and ourselves around the expectations for the company, but also the lifestyle that, that we wanted to lead. Um, you know, she was in business school um, when we started all of this, and I had just come from, like, a really fun experience uh, working in Europe for a couple of years. And I think just sitting down with each other at the beginning and, and saying, this is the kind of business partner I need you to be, and this is the kind of co-founder I need you to be, you know, for the next six months or a year or two years or or whatever it is, just really making clear what our expectations were for the other person, I think really helped us avoid any of the problems or surprises that come with being a first-time founder. So wise. And I've heard you interviewed about the process and how you kind of divvied up roles. And I think that's so helpful to know how you got there, how you navigated to this balance of, of what you're doing, what she's doing with this lifestyle and knowing that you are, you know, as you just said, working harder than you've ever worked before. How do you keep your mind healthy through all of this? I think this is where I'm supposed to say that like I work out and meditate and, um, and have like a very balanced lifestyle, but, but it's not like that. Like the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is reach for my phone um, and I've definitely lied in other interviews. Um, <laughs> I said, appreciate like, you your know, honesty. There's a lot in my bedroom, um, but let's be real. It's like plugged in. You're definitely not supposed to put your phone under your pillow, but that's where mine goes. <laughs> and people are going to freak out when they hear this. No, and that, you know, so it's, but I've learned what's worked for me over the years. And I actually think, you know, actually that's a great thing to talk about. I actually thought in the beginning, um, Like you have to find work-life balance. You have to work a certain amount of hours and hang out with your friends and work out and do other things for a certain amount of hours. And you shouldn't start your morning with your phone and you shouldn't look at your phone during these times. And you know what? Like it just didn't work for me. I tried to take vacations where I would unplug and I just, um, it just caused like such massive anxiety. And I think it's really about like what works for you. What I've learned, for example, is that when I do go on vacation, the thing that sets my mind at ease the most is to check in for like an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening. And then I like truly enjoy the hours in between. And also that means like I work extra hard with my team before I go on a vacation to make sure there's like all these contingency plans and plans for approvals and feedback and 
And, and that's the thing that even though it's a lot of work, that's the thing that like helps me relax when I'm actually taking the time. I've learned that for me to have like a super productive day at work when I'm in meetings all day, like I need to take the first few hours of the day by myself. And sometimes that means like sitting in my bed and, and catching up on emails or I'll, um, or I'll go work out or I'll have breakfast and, and catch up with some friends. But as long as I take the first few hours of the day to myself, then like I'm good to take on whatever comes at me the rest of the day. And it's, it's, it took a while to figure out. And I think there's a lot of, um, you know, there's so many articles and podcasts and tips on like, here's how to stay sane and be balanced. And I think it's just about finding out how to integrate all of these things in a way that works for you. I, there was a period of time when I meditated every single day for 20 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes at night. I actually like feel a better sense of balance now than I ever have, but I haven't meditated in months. So so I don't know. So it's I, all relative. No, this is this is really good. It out. <laughs> it's so good. And it's I think important for people to hear because that there isn't a one size fits all. And as much as it sounds romantic to say, Oh yeah, I do my TM in the mornings and afternoons and then, you know, no technology in the bedroom, all that stuff. Um it's not usually that realistic. So, but at the same time, it's whatever works for you. And that candor is appreciated. So what's one lesson that you find yourself learning over and over, Jen? <laughs> you know, if, if there's one lesson from, from this entire journey so far, it's really um, this like evolving sense of accountability and responsibility. And I know like I've obviously had jobs in the past where you are definitely accountable and responsible for things, but I think starting a company and hiring a team and growing that team, you know, and every day the company grows and there's more at stake, you feel this like overwhelming sense of accountability for, for the brand that you're building, for the customers that you have, for the team whose livelihoods you're, you're accountable for. And, and there's a certain weight to that that I think for, for some people it's like a lot of pressure and it, it can be crippling. But for me, it's like very, it's very empowering and it actually it makes it so much more than, you know, it's not just about me. It's so much more than that. We've really built this whole like team and network and community and ecosystem um, and being able to, to play a part in that and to feed into that is like what gets me going every single day. So I think even just, just learning how to be a part of all of that, it changes every single day. So every day I'm learning a lesson about how to communicate certain things, how to like how I share my vision with the team now is very different from how I shared my vision with the team in 2016 when the entire team fit on two couches. And, and as a leader, you're constantly learning that. You're constantly learning the language that works. You're constantly learning how many times you have to repeat something for people to even hear it, much less understand it. And, and those are the things I'm working on every single day. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. If you are digging this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. It just takes a moment and it means a ton to us. Also, after recording more than 100 episodes, I've created a bit of a cheat sheet on the top five things I've learned from Renegades and how they get from idea to action, from dreaming to doing. I will email you the downloadable PDF 
when you subscribe to my newsletter, just head to amyjomartin.com and click on connect with me. The pressure was actually a question that I, I wanted to ask you. So I'm glad that you you prompted that. It's um, I mean, just researching you and an article came out what two, three weeks ago from Forbes, and the headline is you know, next billion dollar startups, how two young entrepreneurs used relentless online marketing to build a way into a $700 million luggage brand. Okay. So you read that or you see that amazing. First of all, um, put that one on your fridge, right? (laughs) Yeah. As this, um, you know, these inflection points are happening left and right and, and, and it's building and growing. Do you find yourself feeling the kind of the gravity of having to constantly level up and think bigger and think bigger? Or is there like a self-concept catch-up happening here? Do you see yourself in the middle of it? There's like two questions in one, which you're never supposed to do. So you can you can answer whatever you want. You know, it gives me time to think about it. But yeah, it is a little bit of perception, right? Like I can see it happening from far away, but I'm also like right in it. And it's like, I don't know, there's, that's actually not what inception is, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, no, it's an, it's an interesting question because I think every day is really different. There are days I've actively had to work on this, but really just being mindful of what we've built and, and how much we've been able to accomplish in such a short amount of time. I think, um, Steph and I spend a lot of time planning for the future and thinking about our longer term vision. And when you spend so much time thinking about here's what we want to be in one year, three year, five years, it really has the power sometimes to diminish the things that you've already done. And of course, we never want to do that. So we've actively been working on um, really recognizing our milestones and the team's milestones and um, thinking about where we've been successful, but also constantly thinking about, you know, where are the learnings? Like, what could we have done better? Uh, like, what did we do wrong? And I think for, for better or worse, even though sometimes we can't change the things we're observing, um, Steph and I have always been really self-aware. We're those two people that, like, will literally be in the middle of fighting with each other, but then analyzing the things that we're doing to each other. And it's just like a really weird, like, psychological trip. But, but we've always been really self-aware. And I think that helps when, th- when things are moving so quickly, there are some things I do, uh, for example, like in meetings with my direct reports that as I'm doing them, I can like hear my executive coach's voice in my head being like, Jen, you're doing that thing again that we said you shouldn't be doing. And I can't help it. Like it's too late, but that, but it helps me kind of assess the situation and, and rectify it quickly. And I think, um, that's really been the case with this whole thing. And I, and because of that, because like I'm like acutely aware of of what's happening and my role within it and how it can impact things, it never feels like the pressure really builds up. Kind of like a, I kind of feel like I'm just um, I'm like Mario, like in a video game, just like jumping over things and like mm-hmm. trying not to fall into the hole. And you're like, oh, there's a pipe. Like, should I go down it? I'm like, oh, gold coins. Um, And that's how it feels like. But the thing is, and I I saw this, another founder actually sent me this, but I saw this, uh, this meme, I guess, of like, you know, like what happens when you complete a level in a video game? Well, you level up and then you have to do it all over again, but it's just harder. So that's, that's what this whole journey really feels like. There's like, 
you're like, okay, great. We did it. Um, you know, like, like when we hit our first hundred million dollars in revenue, we're like, amazing. We did it. But then you level up and it just gets harder from there. (laughs) I imagine those are words that you may not have imagined you'd, you'd be saying to yourself, you know, like five years ago, 10 years ago, it's, it's pretty incredible. So when you, when you look at the big picture of women getting funded and what, 3% of VC money goes to female founded companies, what has your experience been like in, in that world? And do you have any thoughts on how to accelerate that ratio forward to becoming more balanced? Yeah. And I don't want to gloss over that number at all. It's like, I think it's closer to 2.2% of all these funding goes to companies uh, with female founders, which is insane. There are billions and billions of dollars. And I think it's like, it also just angers me a little bit because you see these articles of like, you know, like VC money, like is easier to get than ever. And it certainly feels like there's, there's a lot of cash out there, but the reality is they're not going to female founded companies. Like, you know, women are definitely responsible for ideas that generate more than 2% of all revenue out there. So, so stats like that are, are really crazy. And I think, um, I think the thing is, if I'm going to be totally candid, that Steph and I may not have had, you know, these kind of like horrific experiences where we walk out of a meeting with a VC and we're like, wow, I've been discriminated against because I'm a woman. We definitely were, we definitely were rejected. um, And there were definitely a lot of no's, but we chalked it up as being part of the process. But where they're like, microaggressions in those meetings that maybe we didn't notice or did we get a no that we thought was for one reason but maybe the underlying reason was that we were women they just didn't believe in us maybe and and it's those it's those things that I think are the toughest to solve like I think when um when you hear stories of like just outward like gender discrimination or just people being like just really horrible like outright horrible to you because you know, you're a female founder, that's one thing. But I think it's really those like subtle, like nuanced things that are so hard to solve for. And I don't think I can solve for that. I know what I can do as a woman who has had some success as an entrepreneur um, is now that I'm able to, to mentor and invest and inspire other women to do the same. I do as much of it as I can. I spend a lot of time working with female founders to kind of hone their pitches or give them tips or or point them towards the right resources, which maybe weren't there a few years ago. And I, and I think a lot of people are, are doing things like that, which is great. But I really think it is those like those microaggressions that are going to be so hard to not encounter because they're the ones that you don't hear about. Yeah, absolutely. They're hard to identify and then like you said, solve for. It's it's such an interesting time. And thank you for the work that you're doing to mentor female founders, to invest, um, to share what you've learned, because that's that's one of the key ingredients to the formula for for creating more balance. And the more of we have of you, the more that will accelerate. Um, yeah. And you know, like you I'm a big believer in um for for younger people, like they can't be what they can't see. So I think while, you know, if you spend a lot of time on Twitter or at conferences, there's like tons of things about like women in startups or women in tech and, and women doing this, but there's still so many women in 
the United States and around the world who don't have a ton of ex exposure to female founders, um, who don't read all of those lists of like, here are the top female founders of the year. And I, I think even just like looking for different vehicles to tell our story and, and to make sure that people see that it can be done is really important to us. Oh, it's huge. I agree. That scene is believing. And I imagine, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the fact that you were exposed to what you were exposed to with Warby Parker and the culture and the innovation and entrepreneurship probably planted seeds in you that have helped you. And But to see more females is um, even more so where that scene is believing. So, yeah, I, mean, I think like, just, one, like, just one thing I want to add to that um, – even just like one step removed from me, it, it's not like, for example, you know, my little sister lives in New Jersey, you know, in the home where I grew up. We've never really been that close because there's a big age gap. And I had kind of, I'd already like left the house and, and moved to LA, like when she was kind of growing up and, and a teenager or not even a teenager. And last month I took her for the first time to, to the Girl Boss Rally, which mm. is the conference that Girl Boss puts on. And if you think about me, like I'm her sister, uh, I've been fortunate to get like a ton of press. I mentor so many female founders. I've invested in, in female run companies and this is kind of like my mission and what I do and like what, like what excites me. And then here's my sister who's literally like my blood relative who I grew <laughs> up with and she was being exposed to it for the first time and 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 she told me and it was like a very emotional moment for both of us but i think you know she told me for the first time she could see what i had been working on and she could see that other people had been working on things like that and she met um, an amazing community of people at that event and met a lot of other girls who were um, in her position were really new to this and i just think it's so powerful i think if we just kind of get out of our of our little bubble and and think about who's out there that, that doesn't know what's possible and um, and make sure our stories get to them. That's that's so crucial. Yeah, huge. And thank you for sharing that too. It's the more, and Sophia Amorosa has been on the show before and it's been amazing to see her, her journey, but that the demographics and the age range of where to even start with the whole scene is believing is I think a really interesting conversation as well. To switch gears for a second. So I purchased, I don't know what it's called, but it's your set. It's your three different sizes a couple months ago. And when I look back at the process of how I became aware of your brand and and the decision-making process, it's pretty fascinating because I had only seen friends share their away luggage on Instagram. And after enough times of seeing my friends share it, it was just like, oh, okay, that's what I'm getting next because... I already respected their opinions. I don't want to go shopping around for it. I hate comparing things online, so on and so forth. So I didn't even think twice. It was just like, oh, that's what we're getting next. Then I look at you and as an influencer yourself on, on Instagram, whether or not you like to refer to it that way, but just having influence, your influencer marketing strategy, um, it feels very organic to me versus kind of the forced intentional but is that just has that just been my exposure to friends or what has been you know your your take on influencer marketing for your brand and then where do you see it going yeah it's um i think for us 
goes back to this guiding principle from the beginning of, um, if you think about how many brands are born every single day, it's, it's amazing, right? Like e-commerce and starting a business is easier than ever. Like the, the barrier to entry is very low. Um, there's like all these tools out there and technology that didn't exist even a handful of years ago where you could, I'm not saying this is the way to do it, but you could literally like go online, find a supplier, get a thing made, open like a Shopify account. You can now process credit card payments through Stripe. You can do all of this stuff and start a business overnight, start advertising on Instagram. And, and there you have it. Like you have an e-commerce business and obviously that's super simplified and it's great. But that also means that there are hundreds of new brands every single day and, um, and you see them, you know, all over Instagram and kind of like in this ecosystem, the way we thought about it was that it doesn't matter um, like what our brand is, isn't what we say. It's what people say about us mm-hmm. and the people could be press or influencers or, or your friends or, or literally anybody else. But who cares about a brand who just started a website and is saying that they're amazing and so great? Like who are you going to believe? Um, so from the beginning, we are like, whatever story we want to tell, it has to be a story that somebody else tells for us. And, and that was really what we were going for. It wasn't like, hey, let's do influencer marketing and get a bunch of people to post about us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from the beginning, it's been about like finding our story and telling it in a way that resonated with other people that would make them want to repeat it. Everything, every single thing we do it away, we're like, is this something that people would talk about over drinks or dinner with their friends or family? So with kind of that in mind, like obviously influencer marketing was, is a great way to do that, but only if that's really your approach, like the approach can't be, let's give them a product and give them money and like pay for them to post about it. And by the way, like here are all the guidelines for the post and what you're allowed to say and what you have to tag it with. And like, we have to approve it. So for us, that authenticity and that creative freedom has been a really huge part of what we're doing. I very much believe in paying people to create content and, you know, and, and paying creatives because like their work's not free and and supporting what they do. So, but when we think about paying influencers, it's not to post, it's to fuel like the creative projects that they're working on for us. So we actually have this thing called the away collective and it's like people that we've built relationships with over the years. We basically tap into them for creative projects to work with us on um, like, for example, like imagery for our marketing um, or to help us launch new products. And that that's like a kind of formalized version of, of what we do with, with I think at this point thousands of, of influencers and, and content creators. So we've just formalized that a little more and, and are piloting it with a few dozen of them. But it just boils down to um, they find the brand interesting, they find our products useful, and they find that we have a story that that they want to tell. And we still stand by the fact that like it will never be ROI positive to to pay to post. And then that's not what we do. And even beyond just influencer marketing, we think about how do we do everything, whether it's the unboxing experience or the experience that you have when you walk into one of our stores or the experience that you have when you're interacting with a brand on Twitter. How do we do everything so that it sparks a conversation and it gets somebody to talk about that interaction with somebody else? And because of that, word of mouth continues to be one of the top ways that people find out about a way. And that's what I was exposed to 100%. I mean, through 
digital, well, social media, but it's, I love the, the organic nature, but also very strategic and in your, your approach. And that's partially what kind of sold me. Uh, so that's, it's fascinating to, to experience that as the consumer and that word of mouth. I think one of the worst things you can be as a brand is, is to be forgettable. You know, there's so much out there. You know, one of the reasons that I think we have found success um, in the luggage industry is because it's an industry that had been so heavily commoditized. Um, you know, I was talking to people who are on a plane twice a week for work and didn't know the brand of the bag that they carried with them every single day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so to, to literally have something that's what, 30 pounds that you're driving around with you um, and you're carrying it all the time and you don't even know what it is or, or who made it or what the story is, if there is one, that's where we saw the real gap in the industry. And that's where we saw like the real, the real white space for what we could create. So Away like made a splash because we entered um, an industry full of very forgettable things. So for us, it's a constant challenge to think about like how do we make people remember us and how do we create new stories for people to tell. So smart. And you're doing an amazing job. And I have a couple of rapid fire questions for you to wrap us up. Um, all-time favorite book, Jen? Anything by Adam Grant. Oh, uh, he's been on the show too. So, so anything really. <laughs> and I'm in good company. You are, you are. And I think about originals because he does talk about Warby Parker quite a bit. And um, okay, so that's awesome. And what keeps you up at night? What I just said, just how do we make sure that people remember us? Mm-hmm. Fair. <laughs> Pirates or ninjas, who is tougher and why? I'm, I'm like, I'm really scared of pirates. Like, (laughs) (laughs) So you're team pirates? Yeah. You know what? And I, we'll get into this. This is not the long and a rapid fire thing. Um, yeah, I think pirates, but like the, um, the old kind, not, not like the modern day ones. Mm, Good distinction. I am also team pirates, but I am going to start making that clear to people as well. Two very different energies there. Exactly. And uh, advice to your younger self, what would that be? The only things I can think of are so inappropriate. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Bring it. (laughs) Um, Just keep going. I think there's so many times that I tried to follow my curiosity and people were like, what are you doing? Stop. And I'm glad I kept going, even when it didn't really make sense. Like the the road here definitely has not been linear. Mm. Thank you so much for your time and just being willing to, you know, you're obviously very busy, but share and give back through the knowledge and experience that you've had. I am excited to continue to follow your journey and uh, just grateful for your wisdom. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thanks for being a customer too. Absolutely. Proud customer. I love being able to flaunt that around. (laughs) I love it. Okay. Thanks, Amy Jo. Take care. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the show. Hit me up on social media to let me know what you think. I'm at Amy Jo Martin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And I want to hear your Why Not Now moments so I can share them on the show. Just send me a note to whynotnow at amyjomartin.com. 
For show notes and other offers, you can visit amyjomartin.com forward slash why not now. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for my email newsletter for exclusive content and announcements. A big thanks to Rock Salt Music for all of the tunes by the talented John Coggins. And of course, a hat tip to Richard Gruer for editing and producing the show. I'll see you next time. And until then, why not now? Oh,